working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today my interview is with Matt Hankel. He's a New Jersey native who got his professional start with the Barnum & Bailey Circus at age 17. He spent over a decade in New York where he performed with a litany of Broadway shows including Chicago, Mamma Mia, and Blue Man Group. He then moved to L.A. in 2013 where he has found success on the rock scene with two different bands, Yagikian and Mulholland Drive. This episode is sponsored by Sakai Drums. You know the Sakai sound, now get to know the Sakai name. Trusted around the world for almost 100 years, Sakai's devotion to craftsmanship and passion in creating the world's best quality drums is unmatched. Handcrafted in Osaka, Japan, Sakai offers the most versatile drums from the Trilogy Vintage Series to the modern almighty Japanese Birch Recording Kit, each boasting a distinct sound and feel. Go to SakaiDrums.com to learn why studio legend Eddie Bayers, the Smashing Pumpkins' Jimmy Chamberlain, and Tedeschi Trucks Band's J.J. Johnson and Tyler Greenwell choose Sakai. Elevate your sound with Sakai. That website, again, is S-A-K-A-E-Drums.com. We celebrated our 75th episode last week, and we've gotten a great response to Matthew Krause's interview with Peter Erskine. So thank you all for downloading and sharing that, and a big thank you to Peter for giving us that time. Uh, keep sharing, keep liking, keep posting using the hashtag WorkingDrummer, and now please enjoy my interview with Matt Hankel. So we had to uh, push this interview uh, ahead a couple weeks because you were, you were off doing fun stuff in London. Oh, yeah. What were you doing in London? So there's this band I've been playing with for about six months called Mulholland Drive, and it's a trio. Mm -hmm. And it's like southern rock, but pop. Um, you know, it, it's carved up real nice for radio play, and but but not like knocking any of the quality, not losing anything. It's uh, yeah. a young Canadian artist who's living here, and uh, me and Pete Griffin, who I know from the Baked Potato, make the trio. And my job is just to be Bonham, dude. <laughs> <laughs> They want man so i want that job right <laughs> yeah dude i'm going over to london and playing you know that whole vibe in london was just phenomenal and man. it was really well received and it was a blast the whole culture it's been a while since i was in london and actually with the brexit thing pints were cheaper and, <laughs> you know <laughs> man win-win cool. you get to play bonham and and cheap pints yeah just oh i want your life <laughs> um so uh you're uh we're we're gonna get into the the other groups that you've been playing with since you came to la okay. um but but i want to go back for a minute because you're a jersey boy yes and you so you uh were born in new york but but grew up in new jersey right mm -hmm. yeah and, and what was your uh you know what was your high school experience like who were you listening to who were the bands around Dude. Everything. I was, um, first of all, I come from a musical family, so both my parents were working musicians. Mm. Uh, my mom's a flute player, classical, baroque. My dad's a trombone player. Everything. Studio guy, plays with Aretha Franklin all the time. Wow. Uh, played with Buddy Rich. I have cassette tapes from his jacket pocket that <laughs> I, you know, because he would record them. And so, uh, you know, 
I was listening to Steely Dan, tons of big band stuff that he had, old school studio records from L.A. that like, you know, they would just fund these incredible albums and all the players were incredible. And so I was getting all that. Plus MTV was just all up in my face. I loved all the big 80s stuff, dude. I'm a sucker for it. (laughs) All of it. Bon Jovi. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Pico Torres kills. Own it, man. Um, But (laughs) Fishbone came out of the blue for me and blew my mind. And I was, I became like a fish clone uh, in high school. Every decision he made equipment wise and tuning wise, I started doing it kind of became a problem. (laughs) But uh, eventually I like, I had to stop listening because it was just, he was killing me that, that original drummer, you know, band. Yeah. So it was like a mixed bag of, uh, you know, of course I got to do the tower of power. I have to, I felt like, you know, I got into, drums so hardcore and i just was like i gotta do it all man like you know do the the small group jazz the big band jazz the metal the the ska the punk the rock the funk you know yeah yeah country never never made it to jersey (laughs) funny enough i i got into some country stuff out here in la Uh and uh that was a that was pretty cool that was an eye-opening experience you know so you mentioned you mentioned all these styles of music this is this is stuff you're getting into as as a high schooler listening wise yes what are you getting into playing wise i'm playing a ton of big band because you know like the, the scholastic program sends you that direction right so uh i was just trying to be buddy rich mm-hmm. and um on the side, I was jamming with friends. Uh, it could be, it could be uh, like total prog stuff or uh, you know full on Chili Pepper stuff. But um, at that point in high school, I was pretty like in the Scholastic thing. I didn't have like a high school band that played out at clubs or anything like that. Right, you know? right. Um, and and so audition tapes and whatnot out to like you know Downbeat magazine to get a scholarships and whatnot. That's uh-huh. what was. So, yeah. So you were, you were considering going to college? Yeah. And then you joined the circus. So I got the scholarship. (laughs) I got the scholarship to Texas and Miami, chose Miami. But before I went to Miami, the circus is coming through town. This is actually, I'll try to make this quick. They came through every year, of course, and there was two different units. So I got to hear two different drummers. They'd rotate every year. Mm -hmm. And the were ridiculous now the, the reason i'm going is they used to fill up the band with like a full-on big band horn section so it was like a tv show band like right. rock rhythm section with all these horns my dad's a trombone player i'm going to watch the drummer with him so uh the, one of the guys was incredibly fat juicy round feel real um, buttery feel the other guy was like danny carey and terry bozio mixed together with like <laughs> spokes remo spokes double pedal like i've never heard anyone do oh my god he was my biggest influence man like i thought i had this ace up my you know sleeve like uh no one knows this guy and i'm Mm -hmm. gonna steal all his you know right right (laughs) so anyway um the other guy uh his name was tim mcginley uh rest in peace he actually passed away uh way a while ago but uh he 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 knew that i was hungry and offered you know man if you ever want to sit in on like the tiger act like you should just learn the tiger act. So I learned it and I played it in Madison square garden and it was like, the rush was ridiculous. Holy you know? shit. So, yeah. so wait a minute, you're 17 years old. 
You right. know the drummer in the circus, and this is yep. the, this is the Barnum and Bailey circus. Yep. This isn't like the you know come through town with a couple of trucks under a tent. Right. So this is the Barnum and Bailey circus, and you're invited to sit in at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. <laughs> and, and so, okay, so what was what was that music like? I want to I want to talk about the music, but before that. Uh, how, like what led to the decision to not go to college and just go on the road with the circus? I did go to college, but what I did is I did a summer gig with the circus. So okay. I left high school early, man. I got to do all these, like I wrote term papers to get out of my finals wow. and convince the school board that this was very crucial to my future. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my dad, the band director. So it helped the push. The yeah. Board. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I did that, went out. My mom drove my drums into Madison Square Garden in our van and unloaded. And then I joined the tour and did it for the summer, like it, like touring arenas around the country. The music was like, at, at that time, it was still a perfect combination of old school, legit, like, you know, polka stuff for, right. for certain, but mixed with like Van Halen, Motley Crue, stuff written for horns from the big 80s rock era. So they just wanted excitement. It was like a TV show band, dude. Just <laughs> ESPN fills. They're like, make sure you bring the double pedal for the elephants. When they get up, they like that. <laughs> the elephants don't react if the drummer isn't happening. Really? Totally. Wow. I've seen it. <laughs> like they just stand there like, where's the double bass, dude? <laughs> Lethargic, bro. But <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So when, you know, when I, when I think of like circus music, first of all, I, I wasn't even aware that, that, you know, actual living, breathing musicians were doing that kind of gig as recently as you did it, which, which was what in the early nineties or, or yeah. Um, so I didn't even realize musicians were still doing that. But when I think of the music, I think of like really old timey, you know, big drum rolls and cymbal crashes and all kinds of percussion and, and whatever. But you're saying that it was bringing like the modern rock and metal influences into the music. Totally, man. A lot of Earth, Wind and Fire, they would just do all this stuff. And there'd be some original production numbers. Um, I got to say that era was really good. They had great guys writing for them and transcribing things. It got more Disney with each year and it's <laughs> a whole thing now and mm -hmm. uh i probably wouldn't even recognize what's going on anymore yeah but that's they're, they're still hiring musicians yeah yeah and how many how many in that group is it like a 10-piece thing or yeah it's um like bass guitar two keyboards drums uh when i joined they had just started scaling down the horns mm. so it used to be like four trumpets four bones five saxes wow Turned into one sax, one bone, one trumpet, and um, but it, it still it still was two keyboards, guitar, bass, drums. There even used to be a percussionist, man. It was uh, man. Yeah, they had to scale it down, of course, like everything. But uh, yeah, is there any is there any video anywhere of you doing that? I don't think there's video, but uh, I do have some bootleg tapes, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do anymore. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. <laughs> When the DW pedals were skinny. Yeah, pedal. yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so you did a summer with the circus. Yeah. And uh, then it was off to Miami. Off to Miami. Okay. 
Talk about talk about your experience there because you didn't you didn't finish. You were there for a year and a half, right? Um, but uh, what you know what what did that year and a half contain, and and what uh, you know sent your your focus elsewhere? What convinced you to leave early? Okay, so the the bands down there, the the top band and the other two big bands were phenomenal. The head of the program was incredible, Whit Seidner. Um, he was a great, like he, he was great at finding talent and nurturing it, knowing how to use it. But, um, but he was extremely open-minded, like all his, most of his staff that I dealt with were very open-minded to all kinds of styles and everybody down there that seemed to go to Miami. I mean, we'd be playing bebop and then at night we'd be playing like, you know, exploratory fusion funk into metal like praxis stuff like that band praxis and uh-huh. uh and it was all good like so the talent was incredible i uh i met eric gardner man my freshman year you know eric gardner no great drummer out here um he's touring with garbage right now hmm. but uh we were on the same floor and it so there's just a lot of pushing each other's abilities um uh, Kevin Stevens was down there, Jason Sutter, Brendan Buckley. We were all in the same. So, okay. You were at the same time as all those guys. Yes. That's a crew, man. That is a crew of, <laughs> yes, sir. Of good guys. But, um, I, my deal down there was I came from playing arenas and I was supposed to be their big band guy. And I was playing big dude, like real big stuff using big sticks. And they kind of put me into this band, the third band, and, and this guy, Rob Lucier kept knocking my dynamics down. He was like, I love what you're doing. If you could just bring it down ever so slightly forever. Right. <laughs> right, forever. right. I got the little, then I got the touch back and, mm-hmm. um, and we did a ton of transcribing, man. It was so cool. The drum set class was like, we'd take a, you know, Philly Joe Jones. And then you make like 10 examples of his comping style and then 10 examples of his soloing style. And then you play those examples and then you play with a rhythm section that Friday in the style of, wow. and we did it for all these different drummers. So that was a blast. Sadly, there was a guy named Steve Bagby and he, I started with him taking private lessons my freshman year, but then he had some uh, health issues and had to leave the school mm. to get right. But in those like five lessons, he, he put that advanced techniques for the modern drummer on me and, I swear it just flipped me, man. It was, it was incredible. Like just working out of that book with this guy was incredible. And, uh, sadly when he left, they started bringing in like substitutes that just weren't doing it for me. And I started, you know, copping the attitude. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And like, you know, (laughs) treating it more like a trade school. Right. And, uh, so a lot of music, a lot of jamming, not a lot of schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the older guys were inviting me to play in like their senior recitals and, and do, uh, you know, uh, like the advanced improv class teacher had me playing, you know, circle by miles Davis and all kind of free stuff. And, um, it, it really juiced, juiced my, uh, my sensibilities and my, and all the stuff in a, in a direction that I would never have approached. I would never have checked out all that music. So right. all, by the second year I was in the top big band and we were playing with Joe Henderson, uh, Joe Henderson, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, Maria Schneider, uh, Jerry Mulligan, all these guys, we did killer concerts, mm-hmm. uh, but I was already thinking, I think I'm going to, I think school is just not for me, man. Like I, I can't keep doing all this extra work. I just want to go back to New York city and play. Mm-hmm. So, so by the last, uh, 
half of my second year, I was taking one credit, they were paying for it, and I was playing in their top band, and that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so you, you, you talked about taking like a vocational approach. Did, did, uh, did leaving school have to do with the fact that you, know, you, you didn't feel like what you were studying in school was uh, you know, what you had already done in your you know, first professional gig with the circus and what you wanted to do in, in New York? You didn't feel like the kind of you know, artistic sensibility of, of college was going to serve you? Yeah, I saw four years of, of just a lot of paperwork when really I already had the tools to make money and play and further my career and further the art. And I, I just I didn't want to be down there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So and when did you end up in New York full time? Full time would be more like 2001 because I went back in 96, did some summer stock gigs, you know, some theater. Yeah. Um, and then was playing in town in Manhattan with uh, a regular working funk band that did all kind of stuff like The Time, Tower of Power, mm-hmm. um, um and and then the circus called again. <laughs> and, hey, we have a guy, and it's not going to work out. Do you want to go back out? Wow. And I, bills, you know, I had some car loan stuff, so I was like, yeah. yeah. I went out for two years, dude. Solid man. Yeah, lived on the train, did the whole thing. Wow. And um, it was killer. I, you know, again, like, how can I make my double strokes sound like my single strokes? Like, like, that's what I'm thinking about because it's like endless roles, endless stuff, you know. Did that, got some endorsements, uh, Vic First and Remo, and it was awesome. Everything was great. Then I left that and went to L.A. to see about it out here in 99. Mm-hmm. I spent two years out here and... At the time, it wasn't right for me. I didn't find the right stuff that I needed. And I ended up going back to New York. And that's when I was set up for the next like 11 years. Talk about that, that next chapter in New York. Because you did, you did a bunch of Broadway stuff. You did Blue Man Group. Yep. Um, what, were those, uh, what were those gigs like? I would imagine they had quite a bit in common with the circus. Totally. There's always a, there was like a crazy connection in all this stuff. My first Broadway show was Chicago the Musical, and it was phenomenal. It was a it, first of all, it's an incredibly well done uh, show, and the band's on stage, and the, it's the kit, the, the style is all like 1930s ruckus big band, right? With Tom and Jerry antics, right? You know? Like uh, there was all these toys, and some of the songs was just like checking doing the action right what was stage comedy bits and it had to happen real fast you yeah know? yeah uh total blast much like the circus that's the most um nervous thing someone asked me about do i ever get nervous before going on uh and i was like the the most nervous i've ever been in my life was that first broadway show i felt like the hankel name was on the line of something in new york <laughs> all the guys in the band like knew me kind of my hand was shaking bro like oh. if i by the snare it would have done a roll oh god <laughs> By the half of that, they all turned around the curtain closed and they were like whooping it up and gave me a lot of support. So it was awesome. Nice. But anyway, that was that. And, and this was this was on Broadway, right? On Broadway, I mean, yeah. we, we talk about Broadway shows like, you know, we, we use the term Broadway to refer to musicals in general. But like you're in a theater on Broadway. Sir. Yes, sir. Right. OK. Just want to clear know, that up. Come out of the subway, walk to the door in, boom, on stage and we're off. Man, love it's it. It's great. 
Yeah, leave those drums set up there for years yeah, and years. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny, actually. I did like five Broadway shows, and I never played my own drums or cymbals, really? which is serious. I learned about different sticks just for defense to not get hurt, man. It was like wow. everyone tunes them different, and some guys like – crank them and tape them and some are loose and pitted but it sounds good in the system and you got to bring it on that so mm -hmm. you know I, I literally use different sticks on every single gig just to not get hurt wow <laughs> okay so chicago yeah. and then i 2003 i got into the blue man group and uh funny story there i had done a cattle call 650 people in vegas two years before and it was between me and blas elias from slaughter dude and uh <laughs> They, they went with Blas, and I was moving back to New York anyway, and right. so knew what they wanted, got the gig in 2003, and uh, kept doing both of those, and that was very circus-like. It's like vaudeville from Mars, right. it's Keith Moon, you know, yeah. total Moon vibe. And were you, you, weren't, you weren't one of the actual blue dudes, right? You were playing drum set kind of behind the scrim or whatever it is? Exactly, yeah, you okay. got it. Yeah. Rim and with the, what we put on the war paint of our own design. And, right, uh, right. Oh, under black lights, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did that, like that, that music is different. Yes. That's like original compositions and, and probably you were dealing with loops and am I right? No loops. Oh, no loops yet. Okay. Um, but how did that, you know, after doing the circus and, and, and Chicago and, and these more kind of, you know, mainstream things, how did, how did the blue man group stretch you? First of all, dynamically, they always we had we would have note sessions after every show, like a show, like a theater show, you know, like actors do. Um, right. and that was kind of annoying, man. I mean, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's like, are you kidding me? I just I'm trying to like, you know, like when yeah. you stop, just want to have a little time to yourself. Right. You know? You're you're talking to a Disneyland veteran, so. Uh, <laughs> oh my man! Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. So uh, they. There was a lot of, uh, Matt, you've got great lows and, and great highs, and we, we got to work that middle, that middle, like your dynamics in the hmm. middle. That was interesting. Um, all the, all the um, catching of tricks and playing to the, not, not tricks, but like catching the movement of the blue man came, it was just like doing the circus, man. It was so much fun to color, to color with sound to what they're doing. Yeah. Um, it's a huge part. It's like lead drums. That's that's a thing that sometimes guys don't uh, don't get the gig because they're such a great supporter and groover. But but this is like forward moving lead drum playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, it was just like um, dynamics and uh, and how you know when you do something like that for ten years, man. It's like trying to just keep it keep it interesting, but not start screwing up their template. Right. Did you do the same show for two years? Actually, no, it changed like three or four times just to keep up with technology. And they always create new bits. And Right. And, and it was over 10 years, not two years. I just said two, but it was over 10. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's yeah. amazing. And I still get called to go to Chicago or, and do some support sometimes if they need some extra, you know, drummers around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, did you do the Chicago show for a while? Just um, since 2013, I've been going there. I've gone like 10 times to help out for a couple weeks at a time. Okay, I see. I never, was situa I never lived there or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, talking about the, the, the notes portion of, <laughs> of your employment with Blue, Blue Man and like taking notes after every show, it's, it's interesting what 
I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you were dealing with, with, you know, directors and stage managers who weren't necessarily musicians and who were thinking big picture, uh, and, and, you know, giving you notes that it was just their perception of the show as a whole and something you did that like you wouldn't even think of as a drummer. For sure. For sure. And was that like that middle dynamic range kind of, kind of one of those things where it, it kind of took a non drummer to say like, yeah. Now that was that was that direction came from musicians, but they weren't drummers. It was more mm-hmm. like players who had been there for a long time. Just, but uh, you know, with all the details, man, all the like splitting the atom, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, and the the notes from the people that weren't musicians were exactly what you said: big picture for the show. A lot of like, I like what you, you did. I'm not sure if it served the show or not, but you know, that whole type of deal. You right. Know? Right. You pulled focus a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, and did you, did you have to, I mean, that's, that's obviously a very theatrical show and you're on stage, you're visible, right. you're not one of the blue guys, but right. like, did, did that change, uh, your, your stage presence? Was that something you had to work on to be part of that show? It, you know, it was very natural, man. I just, I just went with it and, and was like, you know, pulling from Terry Bozio's old movements, you know, <laughs> you know, becoming a creature up there and yeah. kind of slithering around the kit. The kit's huge and, and like you really, more movement, the better. Um, uh, no twirling. You can't be twirling and stuff, which is, you know, hilarious. But, uh, but it was, it was definitely cool to get into stuff like that. I mean, I even went as far as like, some crazy stuff like the way trees go in the wind, how they move. Like I was literally going that deep with it to just get some, you know, some concepts going. Wow. You know? That is cool. And like, I've, I've heard, I've never auditioned for blue man, but like I've looked at their thing and like, you have to submit a video of it's, I mean, it's not just playing it's, it's, you got to submit a video of, you know, all this movement or dance yeah. or like animal work. You have to kind of, did you Dude, have to do that? That, uh, Nobody actually asked for that, but I was doing, I was into the animal things, you know, the way animals, uh, their movements, I was really doing that a lot, looking at the audience, um, head gestures and, uh, ways of presenting, you know, like my, my shape, I would totally use animal movements, man. It's, it's a great one. What, what, what animals were your go-tos? I just, I love like, you know, um, when an animal is just curious and, and, uh, and it cocks its head and just, cause it's not going to say anything, but it's like wondering what the hell's going on. And it's <laughs> like, you know, that whole thing. And I, I just loved, um, that whole thing. Of course you get, um, I don't want to say like ape stuff, but you know, you are, you are like an animal up there with these sticks in your hand. Yeah. And, primate. And, yeah, man. <laughs> It's like, yeah, but also they want regal, you know, it's like a shaman character, uh, up there. It's like an overseeing of what's happening. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's not clown time, you know, know? but yeah, that was some good stuff, man. That was some fun stuff. But again, you got to like a lot of years playing similar stuff after a while. It's like, you got to move on, you know? Right. Right. I was actually in 2004, I got into Mamma Mia and I was playing that and that was phenomenal. It was all seasoned New York guys, click track, ABBA music, no discussion about the tempos. It's right. like what it is. And right. that's, what, you know, uh, and then dirty rotten scoundrels in 2005. That was an incredible book work with John Lithgow. Um, got into wow. the sample 
had, there was a lot of effects off of an SPD at the first SPDS. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, uh, 2000, what happened after that? I started touring with Khaki King random around the world and, uh, kept all these shows going at the same time just to keep it interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and like all these shows you mentioned, these are, these are things that you did like full time for a stretch and then went on to the next one or, or were there other drummers on, on those shows that you kind of split the chair with? Yeah. I was a sub on all of it. Okay. I would never have a day off. Right. Right. Monday to Blue Men, Tuesday is Chicago, Wednesday Mamma Mia and a Chicago, Thursday Dirty Rotten and a Blue Men. So I was changing in my van and like, you know, doing the whole Oh yeah. Yeah, man. It sounds it sounds like Vegas. I uh for an article series I wrote, I, I interviewed this guy, uh Paul Ringenbach, who who plays in Vegas. Um and it's it's the same thing. Like you get in the network there and and you won't be the guy on any one show. You'll just be like you learn all these shows. And you just hop around all week. Yeah. So and and he's you know he's he's been in a show at, at the Win for a, a couple of years, but a lot of guys just like learn all these shows, meet all the guys, and you know uh, have a different show every night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so so was this type of work doing doing the Broadway thing? Like, did it? Uh, I I'd, I'd imagined it prevented you from doing other stuff and pursuing other stuff. And you mentioned Khaki King going on tour with her. Was that kind of your breakout? Like I got to get out of Broadway. I got to do something else. Yeah, definitely. definitely. What, year, what year was that? 2006. Okay. Um, and were you her like touring guy for a while? Totally. I recorded on some albums with her, but she did most of the stuff on her own. Cause she plays everything. Hmm. Um, and I, from 2006 till I think, 2010 I was her touring drummer um and that was a crazy gig because her she was a solo artist who went kind of indie pop writing um and then gave me carte blanche as to how to approach everything I mean within reason but Mm -hmm. like we're talking from brushes to double pedal to sampler pads to to like you know Burmese bells on my legs you know while I'm playing with the, the mallets on the toms you know like it was really cool man what was your approach in terms of uh, networking to, to break out of the Broadway circle? Okay, that I had to leave the coast, honestly. <laughs> that, I, I, um, I got a chance to audition for Smash Mouth in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I flew myself from Brooklyn out to here to L.A. And, and I did that audition and I learned a hell of a lot out of that of what not to do, <laughs> you know, and it was, inc- I got home and wrote 12 things down. What not, to, what, what I learned from that. Oh my God. What were they? Oh man. Uh, I, 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 what's funny is what I'm remembering right now is I was there with my coffee and the guys offered me a beer and I was like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm having this coffee right now. And I'm like, I wrote down, take the fucking beer. Take the- <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's great. You know? There was things like, you know, um, I'm remembering now, like it was like, you know, uh, treat the shit like you're important. Like I was in there like they were like, would you like in-ears or a a monitor wedge? I was like, oh, man, it's all good. Whatever. As long as I could hear the amps. Bullshit. You should be like, actually, I'd like to get some 3K in the wedge, you know, like (laughs) like asking me, like, how about the kit? Is it going to work? I was like, yeah, let's just let's just play. I was like rushing like a New York. Yes, just do it. Let's get it done. 
But actually, it was like, do you have a six and a half aluminum snare? Because that's what I usually play. You know, that's <laughs> what guys do, you know? And like, yeah. You know, act, act like you belong. That's what I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone's uncomfortable enough. They don't need you to be uncomfortable more than they are. Right. And no one has the time to like wait for, you know, they just love assertive. You know, people just like assertiveness, man. Not yeah. being a dick, just assertiveness. Right. Just know your shit. Right. You know? And there's a, there's a fine line between being assertive and fronting. Don't, don't pretend that you know something that you don't. You know, it's not, a, it's not a fake it till you make it thing. It's like own what you can do, act like you can do it, and, and you know, be, be a grown-up, be a pro. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. Totally. It's funny. I, I have to really uh, think of, be conscious of that myself because just politeness, like, you know, like being a not, – not like like – pushover type of like uh, false modesty but like I'm not trying to like do a, a rap battle and be like yo I can do this shit this shit this shit you know like you know what I mean yeah like, yeah it's finding the balance I, you know it's a it's a grown up thing it's right. a fucking grown up thing yeah. yeah it's it's knowing what you are and what you're not and and owning both of those things totally yeah totally yeah but but my networking was all shows and I realized that that was it, man. Like it was just going to keep, um, uh, I'm going to, I was just going to stay in the show scene. That was all it was going to give back, you know, and everybody doing that is fine with that. It seems like mm -hmm. they're cool with that. And that's great, man. But I was like really itching to do other stuff. And I wasn't feeling in New York, the music wasn't, wasn't happening for me. So I made my own band. I had a great rock band and a great, fusion band kind of like Mahavishnu meets Nine Inch Nails and Megadeth at the same time. And Jesus. that's, that was my shit. But still my friends would come from LA and I was like, are you kidding me, dude? This is an incredible band. Uh, the, the, the stage presence is great. Everyone's playing killer. It's cool music. Uh, whether I like the singer or not, it doesn't even matter. It's just a great thing. I think I need to go out there. So I started like calling people and, uh, put the word out, took a trip. And literally, I just networked to come out to the L.A., man. I didn't, like, do any, let's stay in New York and see what else I can do because I didn't see anything. It seemed like it was dying. Like, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so. Well, that's interesting. So, like, rather rather than, like, try to break out of the Broadway circle and stay in New York, you just decided to break out of New York. Totally. Wow. Um, so you made the move in, in 2013. Yes. Um, and that sounds like it was a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. Did, did you have like a set of criteria that you needed to meet before you could actually make the move or, or did a window just open up and you said, I'm going right now? It was kind of like that. Um, I was always uh, floating well, like with cash, with all the shows that I was doing. Um, I, I took a cruise gig. Blue Man started doing some cruise ship work. We, it was great. We were like treated like, you know, officers on there, but we were doing Blue Man Group. And yeah. so in the Caribbean out in the water with a beer in my hand floating and I'm feeling New York just like leave me. And I was like, dude, you know what? There's like birds flying. There's like, there's, there's something else than New York out there, you know, you <laughs> bubble. It's like a bubble thing. Yeah. Um, so I saved up some cash, came out and visited in 2012 to see what was going on. Went to like, you know, super soul Monday, went to, uh, a few clubs around town with my buddy, Derek Frank took me around my buddy, Ethan, Phillips and they show me some stuff and I just immediately 
was like, this is it. This is, this is the only time because I'm only getting older. So I mm-hmm. finished up a, a tour with Blue Man, said my goodbyes, packed up everything, sent it in a pod out to L.A. Wow. And just went for it, man. You wow. know? Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned the Super Soul Monday thing, and um, you like you worked your way into like all the circles and all the scenes that I did not, because like I you know you were you were hanging out at the baked potato, which I I hung out there a little bit, but like you worked your way in there and the whole like whiskey scene and the Viper Room and and all that. Um, so like tell me tell me about approaching that that whole thing because the 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 mythology of those places and, and sort of the mystique of LA, you know, just like lives in those places. So, so what was, what was it like to work your way in? Dude, it just felt really natural. Cause I'm genuinely inspired and interested in all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And scenes is just, it, that's just like part of what I'm into. It's part of me. So I didn't feel like I had to wear all these different hats and put on some front. Mm-hmm. I just literally felt really comfortable in all those places hearing all those sounds and, and vibing with all those different type of people. Um, obviously like presentation is important and like certain things don't really work in certain areas, mm-hmm. like playing man, just like playing. So yeah. like, but it was really natural for me to go to the Viper room. I was so psyched. I was like, Oh my God, this is so killer. Like it's all black and rock and roll and the show's great. It sounds cool. Then I'm at the baked potato and I'm like, Jeff Beccaro was here. Right. This hallowed ground. It's like a church, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, just hearing these guys shred was so cool. They don't have that in New York. There's no place where you can just go shred a million notes and it's like, that's what it is. That's really? what the vibe is. No. And it's, uh, it's, so that's cool. Um, especially cause it's more electric over here, over there. It's more acoustic, definitely from the, the low volume jazz type of thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Sadly, the Ramones in the Living Color days are just gone, and it's sad. It kills me. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know. But that's I just it was bro. It was just real natural for me to just go hang out with all these different people. Um, but I do realize that it takes like three plus years to gain the trust that you're not just fronting. Mm-hmm. You know, right. because you know I'm not the first person to try to do this, mm-hmm. and. Like, it's like it's it's amazing how how fertile it is out here, how incredible uh, musicians are, and but it also uh, it's so fertile that a lot of weeds and bullshit grows. So like dealing with who's what, you know who's who's who and who's what. I know it takes some time. So yeah, that's, that's a trip, man. Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's it's so fertile that a lot of weeds grow. <laughs> yeah. For sure. I've never, I've never heard it, heard it put like that. You know, I, I, people, some people ask me about LA and, and, you know, I, I, I never, I never thought to put it like that because I tell them there's, there's so, you know, there, there is great music in LA. There are people of substance. There are musicians and artists of, of goodwill and genuine yeah. brilliance, yeah. but like you got to hack away the shit first. Like totally. every, everything is under this veneer of like LA bullshit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not it's not hard to get through, you know, but you do have to look under that shit to find the good people and the good stuff. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, coming in like, sure, I was here for two years in the past. Didn't make much much of a, uh, you know, I didn't really go that deep the last time. But um, I'm here for I've been here for like three years. Mm-hmm. And like guys are going on 20 years, man, that I'm hanging out with like 
you know, they've put in some time. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. Uh, it's I'm just trying to make up 20 years in, in five years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Also, I don't want to go back, dude. Like, I love New York and I, I, I love a lot of people there, but I don't want there's, – there's no place that I'd rather be right now. Yeah. So just all good. Yeah. You know? Talk talk about that for a little bit because I you know I lived in L.A. for five years and I can I can speak on the lifestyle there and and the pros and cons of it but you know living in L.A. and living in New York are are two very distinctly different lifestyles and they each kind of pose their own challenges and they have their own strengths and whatever um, right. is do you obviously prefer L.A. over New York yeah um, but for for people who are in smaller towns thinking about going to one of those places, like just talk a little bit about, about the pros and the cons of kind of day-to-day life, not just the music scene, but, you know, living your life in those places. You get better quality of life for your dollar in L.A. Mm-hmm. It smells better. And <laughs> the air, dude, you, you get used to it. But when you come from an air, from a, like when you spend some time in another part of the country and then fly here and you get off the plane in Burbank or – the, the air and the sun feel totally different, man. It's like Mediterranean. It's incredible. You yeah. Know? Um, all that shit's beautiful. The ocean's great. You know, the vibe. I love the valley, dude. I love the vibe of. Do the you sea. really? I actually do. I like, I feel great out there. And I also keep seeing like Night Rider. Like, I feel like I'm watching old TV shows. Like, <laughs> it's really cool for me, the A team and whatnot. Right, but, right. Um, but in, uh, in New York, there is nothing. I haven't, dude, I haven't been to Japan, okay? But. There is nothing like the electricity in New York City where, like, you kind of don't have to do anything and it carries you. Hmm. Like, literally, it's that vibrant, man. Like, um, you just fall down, the, you know, fall down the street and you're going to hit a five-star restaurant, one of the coolest bars ever, and meet some characters, you know. Right. And that's just all over the city. So uh, it's incredible to be on a train system where you don't have to own a car and mm-hmm. just, like, just like hop all around inside of 10 minutes. You could be way up in Harlem or like, you know, um, not to mention all the music that's going on in the subway systems. Like, performers, yeah, man, you know? Yeah. There are some cats down there, man. <laughs> Seriously doing it. Um, food's incredible in New York. I still have yet to find restaurants that rival stuff in New York hmm. out here, but man, the, 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 Oh, actually, this is huge. Although it has to do with music. In New York, things are so small, they usually either have house drums or you got to bring like a small kit. There's going to be no Alex Van Halen growing in New York City. Right. Now, that's huge, man. Like having your own sound. And if you want to play a 28-inch bass drum, you should be able to play a 28-inch bass drum mm-hmm. and like splash hi-hats and right. a fucking, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That, and, and, and in New York, it's kind of like not really the deal. Like everyone's like, you know, man, I got this 16-inch bass drum. You can hear it, right? It's like you hear the pulse, right? It's like, yeah, but what the hell is – you know, what are you doing? You know? But who cares? <laughs> who cares? You know? <laughs> I think it's really cool that out here you can uh, – the sky's the limit, man, because um, there's more, more space. Right. There's more than you're driving. You got your car. Mm-hmm. If you want to drive a, you know, extended van to bring your five bass drums, go for it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. You talked about uh like doing kind of deep networking in in LA and um something that I think about as I look back on my time there is that I, you know, I I cast my networking net uh pretty wide and not very deep. 
Um, so did you, uh, did you kind of consciously make an effort to, to really show up, you know, a lot of times in a row at certain places and really put yourself in front of certain people, um, yeah. rather than try to get to every place and see every person and do everything. Yeah. I found out, I found out where the jams were happening and I went every week for mm-hmm. a year. I spent all my money going out every day <laughs> for a year. And, uh, and I, really instantly it's funny people out here uh they love the new flavor and it was interesting to get an immediate because they don't know who you are they don't know what you know they're like "Ooh, i wonder what the hell's going on and so so um with each person that i i made a good connection with i literally followed up with like invites to like birthday party hang like hey i'm hitting this place you feel like going like literally tried to generate an actual friendship you know and um because I actually was genuinely interested, you know, like, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned you put in your notes, take the fucking beer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, right. and you know, when somebody, uh, when somebody invites you to a jam session or invites you to sit in or invites you to the party, like, especially if you're brand new there, you say, yes, show up. Totally. Yeah. Showing up is like half of life, you know, <laughs> hanging on, on some the the percussion instructors in Miami wall, but it was just like, you know, I had to put in as much FaceTime as I could. So I literally went out every night to, to all the places, man. There And jams have closed since then. You know, there's been a lot in three years um, that have started and stopped. But something always pops up. Yeah. Um, sadly, dude, after three years, I mean, I put in a good amount of gasoline in that going out thing. But, like, if you stop going once, it's just like the gym. Then it's like, oh, shit. Then you don't go again. Yeah. And, dangerous now you're like hey man whatever yeah man it's and that, so now you're like well do i never go again or do i go every night for the next year <laughs> man and that's la like it, it has a short attention span man there's so many people there and and so many you know musicians are are just they come face to face with so many different people on, yeah. on a weekly basis that like any one person is pretty easy to forget about dude check this out there's a, a friend of a friend who's a great musician. He happens to be from New Jersey as well, but we were just friends in the distance. But I knew that he played in great bands. Perry Farrell, you know, did all this work with Tom Morello. Um, Found out he was DJing at a club in Hollywood. And I was already into my like, you know, I'm not really going out all the time. And and I was wiped out and he invited me out to his DJ night. And I was like, oh man, I'm so chill in North Hollywood right now. I went into CVS, pulled over, my, pulled my car over, and I was like, are you an idiot? This is why you're here, man. Like, go. Go for the stupid thing. So I, and that started this relationship with this guy. And fast forward a year, I just he just recommended me for a great, great gig. He vouched for me. And I feel like I've started the real relationship when I got off my ass and just went there that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Up until then, it was just like, yeah, he's he's cool. Okay, there's a lot of cool people, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, Tell me how to pronounce the name of this band. It starts with a Y. <laughs> Yagikian. Yagikian. Yes. All right. <laughs> Y-E-G-H-I-K-I-A-N. Yes. All right. Look for it. Look for it on Facebook. Um, that band is like, it, it's, it seems like you guys are just no bullshit 90s metal, like four piece, two guitars, bass, drums, just thrown down. Totally, man. Totally. Who like? Where did that band come from? How did you join them? What What is the story of that band? So the last name 
of the songwriter and our frontman, that's Yagikian. It's his last name. Okay. So number one, um, super talented Armenian cat. And uh, I was introduced to him a while back at this club Vino. It's like a wine bar out on the Ventura Boulevard out in the Valley Studio City, I think, or maybe Tarzana. Um, And I met him. We both were like, yeah, you're into metal. Yeah, you're into metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. Then I ran into (laughs) a bar when I moved out. to uh, Atwater Village, and uh, he said, "I'm I'm writing this ra- this record. I'm going to record everything myself." Great man, cool. Then he played it for me, and it sounded like I was in a time warp, 1972, like Black Sabbath. Like you could smell the smoke. There was whiskey. Like it was full on. Right. That. Yeah. And and his voice was like kind of angelic over it, kind of like Queens of the Stone Age ish. But like, I thought it was a really cool thing. And he was just basically straight up like, yo, if I do a show, do you want to play? That was it. That got the ball rolling. So wow. that's the whole thing. And our first show was at the Troubadour and it was massive. And it was, it was absolutely killer. So we're just, we've hit like all the clubs in the circuit. We're about to release a new record. They're finishing up guitars and vocals. Um, and uh, it's sounding really, really thick. But he's, his head is really into that classic 70s, like metal, like old priest, yeah. old abbot, you know? Yeah. And what's great is there's shuffle in it. There's really? This element. There's the swing element that, that has to be there that mm-hmm. guys in the old days had, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, we have it because we were, we did the whole jazz thing. Yeah. Like, and that's such a, a cool swagger in rock and roll that sometimes, you know. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because one, like one of the bands, Yagikian reminds me of a little bit is Pantera. Oh, um, and, you know, you listen to Vinny, you listen to Dimebag, like, th- you know, those guys are metal players, but they're from Texas. Like, they came up on ZZ Top, you Hells know, yeah. and they, they got that swing in there. Um, so, yeah, it's cool. It's cool you mentioned the 70s thing. That that band struck me as very 90s, because like I said, it's, you know, it's Pantera. It's kind of System of a Down a little bit. Totally. Um, and it's it's great that that guy's Armenian, because it just brings the whole System of a Down circle, you know. Exactly. Um, one one of the funniest gigs I ever did in LA was I I played the wedding of of Serge, uh, yeah yeah I it was uh, through um, uh, Artyom that that uh, cello player he plays at the Blue Whale sometimes it was like the only call I ever got from him but he he said you know I'm playing this wedding um, and I didn't know who it was for and I show up and it's like it's Serge from System of a Down he's getting married and this <laughs> this wedding was like it was out in um, uh, like the Palisades or I forgot where it was, but, uh, it was, you know, it was a hundred Armenian dudes in $3,000 suits and Rick Rubin in cargo shorts and flip flops. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Rubin, dude. Hilarious. That's great. Uh, zero fucks given. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Um, what playing, what type of music were you playing at that thing, by the way? It was bizarre. We were doing um, uh, just kind of like improvised, fusiony, free. You know, I I don't know. I don't. I, they must have been friends. You know, I think I think they were friends. They had some kind of a relationship with yeah. Serge or, or someone in the band. And and you know, Artyom is is a an insane cello player, and he works with loops and effects and and all this stuff. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, we had a we had a keyboard player with us who was also Armenian. Um, and yeah, it was bizarre. We played like, we played one set. We played like a 90 minute set of just improvised fusiony weirdness. 
and yeah. people are standing around the pool drinking and you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's bizarre. <laughs> one of one of many bizarre gigs that that we've all been a part of. Um, Dude, I want to add something real quick. I just want. I'm just going backwards real quick. Yeah. About networking out here and everything. Yeah. Like, I never missed a, a, an opportunity to sit in, no matter how weird or wherever I was in my head. Like I played every single time. You know what I'm saying? Like just throw it down. You got to play, dude. Like, yeah. Forget the mind and just go play. You know, right? Right. right. So that, I just wanted to add that. No, that's I, that's great advice, and it's something I uh, struggled with a little bit. Um, you know, you you go to a place, you go to a jam, you go to somebody's gig, and like you know, maybe you're not a hundred percent digging the music, or maybe the you know, maybe there's something about it that's turning you off. You're not feeling it. Maybe you're intimidated. Like, oh, I don't want to bust my shit out in front of these guys. Like, but man, if you get invited, do it. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Take beer. Take the fucking beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Um, so, like, with uh, with Yagikian, is it is that um, is the ethos kind of a, a an intentional rejection of the the modern mathy shit that that uh, you know metal kind of is is. Yes. You're hearing in metal these days? 1,000%. Yes. It is no bullshit rock and roll that's heavy. Uh, grip, you know, simple riffs, um, fucking great guitar leads, dual leads, and uh, just, you know, some memorable hooks, man. Like, you know, we're not trying to be obscure. We're not trying to, like, uh, do, like, long division. It's just literally just fucking old school rock and roll that, that has a has a... Uh, a little swagger to it so that you can like fucking dance, you know, bounce to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I remember Vinnie Paul got in trouble. I, like I, I interviewed him a, a year ago and, and a couple months before that he got in trouble for saying like blast beats have no groove. Um, wow. And, and he's totally right of course, but like yeah. the metal community was just, you know, firing bombs at him. Like how dare you, sir? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but he he said the same thing like you know this is this is metal this is rock and roll like yeah we want to get our chops out and and really shred but like if you sacrifice the groove yeah you know I'm not interested right right I I, I hear I, I I I hear what he's saying completely about the blast beats I, I look at blast beats as like a textural color yeah like a, like a white noise like you know a filter like at this moment and then it's off right right but. That's a different thing. That's like more related to like free jazz, I think, than like, you know, old just bumping beats. Right. You know, right. Ass, you know, I mean, goddamn, Vinnie Paul's groove on um, I'm Broken, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's, yeah, just one of the, he's, he's one of the all time like groovinest drummers, I think. And he doesn't, like, you don't, you don't, think of him in a category with like Chad Smith or, right. or, you know, these, these guys that are known for just like such deep funky pockets. Right. Um, right. Cause he's a metal drummer. Like that's what he is. And he'll be the first to say that, but man, his, <laughs> his grooves are just so deep and so hard. Yeah. That's the thing though, man. Like, you know, talk about like metal. I really miss those days of so much weight behind the notes. Mm-hmm. 
Dave Lombardo had weight behind his notes. They were mm-hmm. playing really fast, but he had weight. And when you see him play now, he's got two Bs and he's hitting. It's not tricked, like trick pedals, like all tricked out. And yeah. Like and if that's your thing, that's totally killer. I mean, I can't do that. But right. like, and then there's, um, you know, uh, oh my God, who was I just going to say? Um, Pete Sandoval was another guy. Pete Sandoval hit, dude. Yeah. Uh, totally, man. Um, yeah, that's... Oh my god! I just had this name. And I just blanked on it. Was but it the Deicide guy? The uh... no, Mashuga. Oh guy. yeah, yeah. He hits, dude. He hits. He hits the drums, and he's he's like muscling it out. It's it's you know it's not like some like tricked out stuff. And also, I heard him doing a clinic where he started swinging, and he was actually swinging. Man, it wasn't wow. like when you hear a metal guy say, "Try to expand out," you know, and it's right. like, oh, you stop, just just stop. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, it's, it's cool you mentioned hitting because you are a guy who swings for the fences, man. Like, <laughs> I am, I am just in awe of like the, oh, the power and, and the muscle. Like I was, I, I was talking about um, this band Atlanta Funk Society that I play in uh, in, in another interview, and, and I was talking about how like I had to muscle up. Like I've never been a hard hitter, and to you know to reach the bar for for that band, I had to like really lay into it and really mm. kind of build up some shit. But man, I watch, I watch you play and it's just, it's so shredding, man. Like what, where, where did, where did that, uh, were you always a heavy hitter? Was that something you had to build up? No, it's, it's always, it was always there. Um, and I, I've done so many things where I playing with my fingertips so light, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like all those things load up the gasoline for when I'm going to hit hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep it down, pianissimo, and like, but still bring it. And like, yeah, you know, um, being a working drummer, dude, you, you know, you're you got to just do a million things and at a million different volumes. And so, this is a chance for me to do what I want to do, express it how I want to do it. And I love hitting, dude. I love the feeling. It's just like you said, like swinging when you crack that baseball and you get that sweet spot, man. Yeah. You know, it feels like that when you're popping, you know, riding the crash and smacking the center of a great tuned Ludwig snare, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black dot up. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love I love that and I'm I'm uh I'm impressed with it. I think it could go too far. There's always that over rock position where you yeah. you're you're hitting too hard. You're choking the drums. Yeah. Uh, the groove is suffering and you might get hurt, you know, yeah. like, that's, that's definitely, uh, I think Dave Grohl does a great job, you know, mm-hmm. and all, most of the drummers I love really hit man, like really, really hit, but didn't overdo it like an asshole. And right. that's the way I can say it. You yeah. Know I mean? Yeah. And, like I just, I was, I was scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or something and, uh, this was today and I, I saw a video of, of uh Travis Barker rehearsing uh and like he was just hitting so hard it was like it was one of those things where it was just too hard right and you know it didn't it didn't look comfortable it didn't sound comfortable like it it was just like ah dude just relax a little bit you can still play loud as fuck but (laughs) totally you know totally um and not you know nothing against Travis Parker, but sure, sure. It, it can go too far. I think. Yeah. Um, so how do you how do you go about uh, constructing parts for for Because it sounds like you have a lot of freedom. Yeah, uh, 
at this point, we have about equal stuff that I put the drums on myself. He makes demos, but then I can run with it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's not too nitpicky about certain things. I I respect the music so much that uh, I just whatever makes it groove the hardest, but also be exciting. I just do that. I choose my gear to be the same way for that band, mm-hmm. and um, and so I just uh, it's it's definitely supposed to be uh, simple grooves. I was gonna um, say it. It seems like you err on the side of simplicity. Total Bill Ward and Bonham. Um, yeah, a little Rage Against the Machine, a little Brad Wilk. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's the vibe. And then um, um, sometimes if I'm really feeling something, it has to be a musical, emotional thing. That That's why I'm making all my decisions is musical and emotional in that band. He gives me a drum solo anyway, so if there's anything I need to do, I can do it in that solo. You know? <laughs> so, like, I don't really feel the need to bring a double pedal. I don't feel the need to, like you know, do a Dennis Chambers 30-second note flourish anywhere, but, like, man, just just making contact with the ball and making it heavy with yeah. that is the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's really sensitive to his swing feel, too. Like, some intros are just, like, a little, almost a, like a like a two-feel on the ride from the jazz department. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not swinging it full on, he's like, wait, 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 I don't know, that didn't seem like, like, he wants that swing in there, man. Yeah. So, so it's cool. It's great. It's a great crew. It's a, you know, cool, it's a man. great play, dude. It's it's so much fun. You'd love it. It's, it's a what? Uh, it's a great band. It's a great uh, batch of songs to play. You would have a blast laying that <laughs> down, dude. Oh man, well, yeah. I, no, there's no way I could lay it down like you do, man. I, uh, <laughs> I watch uh, I watch those videos of you just like above your head and just man. <laughs> <laughs> I could, and even if I could do that, I don't have the hair, so I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm out of the running. <laughs> yeah, right. That was the whole reason, my hair, dude, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. So what's uh, what's coming up for that band, and what's coming up for Mulholland Drive? That band, uh, so you geeky in, we're uh, finishing up this album, and we're looking at a couple labels, because we're labelless right now, so we're looking at a couple things to possibly get involved with. Um, right now, my, my tracks are done in October. I'm chilling, seeing what's going to happen. Uh, Mulholland Drive is on the push. There's a record label in his album has been uh, is almost finished. I'm on two tracks and the rest was uh, Aaron Sterling and uh, they are working with some London label. That's why we're over there. They're pushing it on all the radio stations over there. And we were playing for a whole bunch of label people. It was like a total showcase. So they're trying to get us touring over there in the fall. It Ooh. went smashing, I might add. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal, dude. Yeah. And, uh, and and the age the age group was was like twenty to like seventy. It was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Like, ready, hungry for some rock and roll. Like, right. can you please give us some rock and roll? You know, like so that was killer. Um, yeah, that's that's what's happening with those bands. Cool, right? man. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 happy for you, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Matt Hankel, solid drummer, solid dude. I really dug talking with him. Check him out with uh, Yagikian and Mulholland Drive. They both have dates coming up in the L.A. area. If you haven't already, please give our 75th episode with Peter Erskine a listen. Again, thanks for all the love on social media, and please take a second and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. 
Thanks to Sakai for their sponsorship. Check them out at sakaidrums.com. And if you look at our Instagram feed, you'll see pics of the beautiful snare drums they sent us. Uh, Kraus got a 5.5 by 14 aluminum snare, and I got a 6.5 by 14 trilogy snare. So huge thanks to Jeff Schreiner at Sakai for sending us those drums. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.